reminding ourselves of God, of Christ, the Holy Spirit, being guided by his word that he's left us. Paul reminding us in Romans 15 and 4 that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the patience and the comfort of scriptures might have hope. It's when we read the scriptures that sometimes we wrestle with this hope that we have and are learning to, again, to see with that spiritual eye the unthinged things that are above. You see it demonstrated for a while in the life of Noah and his family, living in a world that was extremely wicked, not that the world has changed that much since those days, uh, but it was extremely wicked. Every thought of man was on evil continually. And yet Noah found grace in the eyes of God. He lived a life separate and apart from the world. He lived in the world, but not of the world. And that's a hard concept for us to continually wrestle with in our lives. To remind ourselves we have that desire of serving God, but sometimes we develop characteristics that are not really God-like characteristics. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and to preach to that wicked city about their wickedness. In 40 days, he would destroy that city. And Jonah did not want to go. As we read the account in the book of Jonah, it was the understanding that Jonah knew the nature of God. Jonah knew that if he went and preached to the Ninevites, if they believed the message that he preached and they repented of their sins, God would keep his word and not destroy the city. And that's not what Jonah wanted. And at times there's reminded to us throughout the scriptures of that need for us to be reminded of who we are, be reminded a little bit of the heritage that is ours, to remind it of the fact that if we read the scriptures, that we're also reading history. And every account of history is written from a particular point of view, regardless of how unbiased a person is trying to be, every account of history contains a bias in it. The Assyrians, as they recount their history, has the bias to theirs. The Babylonians who recount their history have a bias to them. God who recounts his history has a bias to it as well. He's wanting to present things from his point of view as do the others. You read any book concerning warfare and you read one side or the other side and it's interesting to see the different slants that they have to the same events that took place. And this also takes place with the Bible, particularly in 2 Kings 19 and 20. There are two sides and it's interesting to, have, to be able to read both sides we have Sennacherib's account of, as king of Babylon, what took place, king of Syria, what took place when he came down to take Jerusalem. 
And his account is very explicit. And it's, some of it's accounted here in, in 2 Kings 18 and 19 as well. Reminding Israel, who, or Judah, who do you think you are to rebel against me? You think your kings can, or your gods can save you? Could they save the other nations that are around who fell into my power? Have they been able to defend your cities? Sennacherib says, as I came down towards Jerusalem, I took 46 of your walled cities and burned them to the ground. And now I come to Jerusalem, and Sennacherib's account is, I came to Jerusalem and I had Hezekiah like a bird in a cage. But Sennacherib never tells you why having a bird in a cage, he never took the bird. God tells you why. Sennacherib lost 185,000 troops in one night by the angel of the Lord. And as prophesied, he went home. And when he went home, his own sons killed him and took his power away from him. What was prophesied? Saying that a little bit as we look at the life and we live, it's easy to get caught up in the life that we live because of what we see with the physical eye. And at times it's really hard for us to be able to step back and to look with a spiritual eye. But we're given these accounts to remind us that every one of these events that took place are real events happening to real people in a world that, just, that was just as modern to them as the world is to us. And, to, and for us to understand God still rules, he still operates, he still works his will out, even though that we may not see it. We'll catch a little bit here in, in the reading or in the, our discussion in Second Kings, as well as to remind ourselves there are things that God does for his people. that are not done because they are his people. They're done because of one of his people. And you get to work with that one. He's going to tell Hezekiah, I will spare Jerusalem for my name's sake, and for David's sake, not so much for yours, Hezekiah, but I'm saving the city because of my name and because of David. You think about promises God has made to his people. And it's hard for us because we're not aware of them. Hezekiah would be made aware of it. We're not aware of how much those faithful servants of God down through history have impacted 
the world in which we live. That we may be here, not just because we are God's people. We may be here because of some of God's people in the past, in the life that they lived, and the prayers that they offered unto God. Starting in 2 Kings 17 and reading down on through, you're going to have King Ahab and Hosiah. And you're going to read about Ahaz being that wicked king. And then he's going to have a son, Hezekiah, and the changes that will be made along the way. We're going back to chapter 17 for a moment and look down at verse 9. It's interesting as you read that. Who do we think we are? When we do things in secret that we think nobody knows about. Who do we think we are? The children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. And they built for themselves high places in all the cities from watchtower to fortified city. Secretly did things against God. God is very much aware of our very existence. You read Psalm 139. The psalmist talks about forming us or knowing us from before we were born and formed in the womb. It talks about God knowing our thoughts before we think them, our words before we speak them, our actions before we do them. Ponder on that for a little bit. God knows your thoughts before you think them. So what are you going to do in secret against God? How are you going to do anything that God is not aware of? He knows the words that you form before you speak them. And I'm sure none of us have ever said words under our breath so that no one else could hear them. Or if somebody had heard them, we asked for the being pardoned for the language that we've used. God already knows that. These are reminders to these. These were written for our instruction. That we, through the patience and the encouragement of the scriptures, might have hope. God patiently worked with his people. Up down to verse 19. The Syrians are saying to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? Do you think you could stand against God? The understanding again for, as we read down through there, of catching real history taking place, being recorded for us, having the, the words that the enemy is speaking. And oftentimes as the enemy trying to figure out, how is it that the king knows what I'm saying? And they're told, the king knows what you say in your bedchamber. He already knows what you're saying. He already knows what you're planning. 
So who is this that you're putting your trust? That's the challenge that is put forth for us. Do you think God is going to save you? Just take time to look around. Just look around. Read the history. Uh, they didn't have CNN, so they didn't catch all the news recently. But the fact that, again, news traveled. Just take a look around and see the destruction that, have are, that has already been waged against those cities who have rebelled against me. Those city kingdoms. They have not stood. And who does Hezekiah think that he is? That he is going to be able to stand against that king. And as we look, as we get further down is, when really confronted with it, where do you put your trust? When Hezekiah receives that last bit of notice of what the king is going to do, he takes it in and he lays it down before the Lord. And he petitions God. It's then when he receives that answer, because you petition me. You have your petition. Wow. Instead of trusting your wisdom, instead of trusting your army, instead of trusting your intellect to figure it out, what type of peace offering can I make? Ezekiah had to do that as well. But when it got down to it, do you do you finally come to our do we finally come to our senses and realize as we're singing the song, where else could I go? But to the Lord. Who else am I going to petition? Rumors are going to fly. Accusations are going to fly. Misunderstandings are going to be there. Conflicts are going to be there. It's going to seem insurmountable. So what do you do? Who do you lay the request before? It was not going to be the king. Down verse 34 and 35 of chapter 17. They made a continued practice of the former rituals and did not fear the Lord. Nor did they follow his statutes or his ordinances, nor the law and the commandments which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But did they listen? There is but one God. He's not understood in a multitude of different ways. He's understood through the one message that he's given. That's his word. We made a covenant with him when we became his children. A covenant to keep his word. To cherish his word. Not just in good times. That's the easy part. When things are going well and you're being blessed, whatever it is, material and in the physical world, it's great. 
But it's keeping his word when the tides turn and the world is against you. And they're seeking your life. They're seeking to remove you from being a part of their life. Chapter 18, verse 3. For get into Hezekiah now, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And notice, according to all that his father David had done. He trusted in the Lord down to verse 5. The God of Israel. So that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor were there before him. For he held fast to the, to the Lord, did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord had commanded him. And the Lord was with him. Keep that in mind because, again, he's going to keep all of the commandments that the Lord had given. He's going to remove the high temples and the trees and the, the places of worship to the idols. He's going to put trust in God. But being faithful to God is until the end of the physical life. And that may be a long time. And there may be a lot of things that go on in between. He's going to be re- able to resist the king of Assyria. He's going to be promised that the king of Assyria would never set foot in the city, never launch an arrow into the city. That he would go home. And that he would meet his death there, which is exactly what happened. But that's not the end of the battle, is it? After Assyria is defeated, there's another kingdom. You defeat one enemy, guess what? There's another one that comes along the way. And Hezekiah is going to have a problem as he begins to deal with that second one. He's dealing with the king of Assyria. And we're in the chapter 19 in the reading that, we, that was in the bulletin. Hezekiah is going into the house of the Lord in verse 7. Being told that the king would return to his own land and there he would die. Verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers, and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. I have a problem. I've got a king who and his army who has surrounded my city, who has threatened to take us captive or to kill us. What am I going to do? Where would you go? Hezekiah goes into the house of the Lord. He lays it down and says, here's the situation. 
what happens. Here's the situation. He's described as that good king. He's described as a king who is wanting to keep the commandments of the Lord. And he's told that they will not come into the city. Then you go to chapter 20. Still being positive. He's told to put his house in order because he's going to die. Again, he will petition God. And God will give him those additional 15 years. But you see it down in verse 6 of chapter 20. And I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you in the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend the city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. What's well, the guy's name in there? I will defend this city because of my sake, says the Lord, and because of my servant David. How long was Judah spared? Because of David. Remember why Solomon was allowed to finish out his life and the kingdom not be divided? Solomon was told the kingdom would be taken from him. But there would be left a remnant. The Lord says, I will not do it in your lifetime. It will be after you die because of my servant David. What an impact one life can have. We deal with the ups and the downs, but what an impact each life can have along the way. To show that the God would keep his promise, Hezekiah, or Hezekiah was shown by Isaiah the prophet, what sign do you need? You want the sun to go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? The sun went backward for 10 degrees. Get that reminder. Just in there again, catch that as you've seen. Along the way and step that Israel was taken or go back to Adam and Eve. All the way down through time, you see time and time again. Oops, I don't have the, the mic on. I have to get back here. <clears throat> time and time again, you see God intervening, protecting and guiding his people. Despite their shortcomings, their weaknesses, their frailties, and at times their rebellion. He's still there with his people. Hezekiah receives a sign. The Assyrians are not going to come into the city. But the Babylonians did come to talk to Hezekiah. They heard he was sick. And I'm sure they're concerned about his physical health and want to wish him well to get well quickly. 
And what does Hezekiah do? Here you have the Babylonians coming in and saying, we heard you were sick and we're going to see how you were doing. So what does the king do? He says, let me show you around my kingdom. I'll show you everything that I have in my house and in the Lord's house. Everything around here, I'll show you everything of how I've been blessed. When Isaiah comes and says, what did you do? What did they see? They've seen everything. I showed them all. And Isaiah said, everything that they have seen, they are going to carry away. Why? I've been victorious. The Assyrians aren't coming. They went home. But it was the Lord who did that. And Hezekiah forgot that. The Lord is never far from us. These have been written for our instruction. They give us what we need to have. There's always things that we'd like to know more about. You get down to the end of chapter 20. In verse 20. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, excuse me, all his might, and how he made a pool and a tunnel and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Hezekiah made a tunnel. That's all it says. God's perspective, that's all it was. From a human's perspective, you look at it and it's something different. The Hezekiah, or the, the Hezekiah, the tunnel that Hezekiah made is 1,750 feet through solid rock with hammers and chisels of their day and time. Workers started at both ends of that tunnel and chiseled until they met in the middle. And there's a plaque that is still there stating that as they got closer together, they could hear the chisels of the, on the other side, and they were excited. And when they finally met and made that tunnel to bring the water in from the outside, Hezekiah wasn't paying the tribute to the king of Babylon. And he knew that when he didn't pay the tribute that the king of Babylon was coming down. So he was preparing for that. But again, it's a feat that is just marvelous to walk through. When I went through it, there's tour guides on the outside, and they were wanting to know if we needed the guy to go, a guy to go with us through the tunnel. And we're thinking, what do you need a guide for? It's a tunnel. You go in one end, you come out the other end. There's nothing in between. Uh, so we didn't, we didn't take the guide. Uh, side note quickly on that. There's a group of us that went through and we bartered with a guy. And the, the guard who was guarding the tunnel was a German. And one of our guys that was with us spoke fluent German. And so we got to talk, they got to talk, talking and, and you barter over there. Uh, you don't call it what we might call it, they call it bartering. And uh, we bartered with him, and there was 
like four of us, and we agreed that for he'd let us go through for twenty dollars. And we say, okay, we'll do that. Just wanted to go through Hezekiah's tunnel. I mean, that's one of the highlights I guess I have there. And so we went through the tunnel, and we got back, and we're coming back, and there was another group of, from our group uh, that were talking to the same guy and wanting to go through, and, he, he, and they asked us, he said, the guard says you all pay $20 to go through it. I said, yes, we all paid $20. <clears throat> they all paid $20 each. And <laughs> they went through, and... The guard says, you want to split it? No, <laughs> you keep it. Afterwards, they heard about it. I said, why didn't you tell us? that we were trying to tell you. Together, we paid $20. But I'm saying all of that to say, from a human's perspective, it's a marvelous feat. For that day and age to build a tunnel, 1,750 feet through solid rock. God says, Hezekiah built a tunnel. It's written for us. You can read Hezekiah, and it's, a, it's an interesting character to read. He's part of our history, if you will. But again, it's just reminding us, as we look briefly at a few things, he lost perspective here and there. And it's reminding ourselves, what do you put your trust in? What gives you the incentive to go on? What keeps you going? When we're victorious, do we rejoice and glad in it? Or are we victorious in the fact, or rejoice in the fact that it's God who gave the victory? God who gave the strength. It's God who sees us through. And it's God that one day will take us home if we're faithful to him. That part is left to us. Jesus is calling. That's up to us. He calls. We are to listen. We're to hear, to believe, to obey. Do his bidding as he has commanded us. Repent of those sins that separate us from God. Confess him as the Lord and the Savior. Submit to a watery grave of baptism to be raised to walk that new life as our sins are washed away. Then as a child of God, Learn the lessons. Learn where the strength comes from. Learn where the protection comes from. Learn where the guidance comes from. Learn into whom you put your trust absolutely. Is your life where God would have it to be? Or is there a need to make a change in your life? If we could assist you, if we could help you in any way, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.